And now, a Sorry Wrong Door production of a podcast for your enjoyment. Strange, interesting, and slightly gamey. An absurd glimpse into the post-eclectic age. Sugar's only sweetness. Salt is ocean tears. And you were my only weakness. For years and years and years. Are we going? SISG is a broad spectrum show where we cover topics from the worlds of music, live entertainment, film, nostalgia, pop culture, and anything else that comes into our heads, all with an emphasis on the strange and the unusual. It's basically the things that interest us and we hope will interest you too. Now the devil, she must be a dentist with deep jawbreaker eyes. Red rope hair, gumdrop lips, cotton candy thighs. You're my candy. Welcome, everybody, to podcast number 12. This is one for every month now. We feel very seasoned, don't we, gentlemen? We do. Yeah. This is your, your buddy G-Ride. Greg is here, along with... Uncle Frank. And Jimmy Sweets. What do you say we uh, give both our listeners a little preview of what we got on the show today? <laughs> well, we're going to go into the strange world of yodeling, and we have in our Scholastic Book segment, A Tale of a Lost Civilization. We have uh, early inroads to uh, computer speech, kind of the great-great-great-great-grandmother of Surrey, and uh, early computer music. Plus, you're not going to want to miss... As we take you back on the golden age of Saturday morning cartoons, our little segment on that. So stick around and let's get started. Shock. After shock. After shock. After shock. Warning. After shock. The sexual transformation of a man into a woman will actually take place before your very eyes in Dr. Jekyll. And Sister Hyde. A man by day. A woman by night. The perfect disguise to indulge your lust for sex and violence. Dr. Jekyll. And Sister Hyde. An American International Pictures release in color, rated PG. Was he a woman? Was she a man? Or were they both? That, as everyone knows, is yodeling. Alpine yodeling, to be exact. We've all been exposed to it through movies and music, and heck, so is a good part of the world. But would you be surprised to learn that other cultures have their own form of yodeling? Or more likely, would you not really even care? Well, we're going to cure that apathy right now and expose you all to the great, wonderful, and bizarre world of yodeling. We'll cover the strange and the traditional, and the various forms it takes in other cultures, from the pygmies of Africa to the cowboy stars of the USA. And we'll jump right in with one of yodeling's quirkier stepchildren, the Thai Funk Yodel. ทุกปีและคนมาโลมหลายคนระงมกับการพนันเงินแสนชนไก่กัดปลาท้าเดิมพันกันข้ามแดนทุกอย่างแรงแค้นสื่อ
ือดินแดนอีสานของเฮาอีสานเดือนห้าแดดจ้าสีแดงแรงฝนชาวนายังทนกับการลืมลมสมเศร้ามีบ้างบางคนที่ทนกับงานหนักเบาแต่พี่น้องเฮาส่วนใหญ่เขาบ่เอาการงานThat example shows just how widespread the influence of alpine yodeling has become, but in its early stage, it was limited to the mountains of Central Europe. It began probably as a form of communication used by cattle herders between different mountains. Yodeling may go back as far as the beginning of the domestication of animals, but it was first written about by the Emperor Julian in the fourth century. 
He wrote of the wild shrieking songs made by the northern mountain people. The first use of yodeling by name was in a book from 1545. In the book, yodeling was defined as the call of a cowherd from Appenzell, which today is northeast Switzerland. Eventually, yodeling was used with singing and musicians. Sometimes yodelers would even harmonize with each other. All this led to what we could recognize today as traditional alpine yodeling. And we have a couple examples of this. The first one is simple and more pure, so you can hear the fundamentals. The second one has the whole enchilada, though. Yodeling, singing, and music. We talked earlier about the different cultures around the world with their own native yodeling, and we're going to show you a few examples of that. But first we better define this yodeling thing so you can distinguish it in all its different forms. Yodeling is described in many different and confusing ways, and here's our cobbled up version made from a couple different sources. Yodeling is singing an extended note that quickly and repeatedly changes in pitch from a deeper voice to a higher voice making a high-low, high-low sound. And that's pretty much what it is. Now let's listen to some examples of yodeling originating outside the Alpine region. First, we have one from West Georgia, the one near Russia, not South Carolina. It's a yodeling called Krimanchuli. And then we have some Tahrir from Iran. And finally, from Cameroon, we have some Baka woman singers doing their version of a yodel.
That fourth selection was some house yodel from 1998, another example of modern yodeling. Yodeling came to America with German immigrants as far back as 1815. Here in the States, it was influenced by all the other immigrants and became a little more musical. It didn't really take the nation by storm, though, until the 1920s, when Jimmy Rogers began using it in his country music, and of all things, his blues. Here's a famous example where he teamed up with Louis Armstrong. It's called Blue Yodel Number no. 9. It was down in Memphis, corner of Beale and Maine. He says, big boy, you'll have to tell me your name. I said, you'll find my name on the tail of my shirt. I'm a Tennessee hustler. I don't have to wait. Listen all you round us, you better leave my women alone Cause I'll take my special and run all you round us home About this time, Patsy Montana was becoming a big country star, and her hit I Want to Be a Cowboy's Sweetheart had yodeling in it. After that, yodeling spread like wildfire through country music, but not so much in the blues world. There were a lot of yodeling cowboys in the 30s and 40s, but I guess the one that stands out the most is Roy Rogers. His real name was Leonard Sly, and he was born in Cincinnati, but the family moved to a farm when he was only eight. It was here that he took up yodeling, and he did it long before the fad, so it was only natural that he'd use it in his singing career. Roy used the western style of yodeling, but he could also do the pure alpine variety as well. We have an example of that right now. Mm -hmm. 
As we said before, there was a lot of yodeling going on in the 30s and 40s. Among the great number of singers were two sisters. They weren't influential, and I'm not even sure how many Americans knew they existed. They were the Cackle Sisters, and they cackled and yodeled once a week on the Checkerboard Time Show. And here they are again for your enjoyment. It's Checkerboard Time! Once again, your friendly Purina dealer, the man with the plan to help you produce more milk, meat, and eggs, invites you to a transcribed get-together at the store with a checkerboard sign. So join us as we visit the Cackle Sisters. To the first Whippoorwill, the Cackle Sisters, cackling out the first Whippoorwill song. Well, that's our little reintroduction to the glory of yodeling. I hope you all enjoyed it. But we have one more for you, and that's from my favorite yodeler, a man who's carrying on the tradition in our modern world. He plays the women's club and county fair circuit, but I've also seen him at cowboy festivals and poetry readings, too. The man is Sourdough Slim. He not only yodels, but he also plays the accordion, dances a jig, and does rope tricks. And at some point in every show, he does all four at once. It's definitely worth the price of admission. So to play us out, here's Sourdough Slim. Honey, you Way up in the high Sierras lived a mountaineer Listen to my story, won't you lend in here? He had the sweetest yodel, the 
wagons he did fill He became a legend and his name was Yodelin Bill he became a legend and his name was Yodelin' Bill He had a couple billy goats, he had a herd of cows But he kept his pride and joy in the shed behind the house It was a real rip snortin', gurglin' whiskey still Y'oughta hurt Billy Yodel when he did his bill Oh, do you love Yodeling Bill Y'oughta hurt Billy Yodel when he did his bill Now when he had a hankerin' up and paint the town What a hunk of man he was, listen to that sound He drove the ladies crazy with his magic trill when old Bill would yodel, they'd really get a thrill. Oh, do you Oh, do you Oh, when old Bill would yodel, they'd really get a thrill. Little kids, they followed him, gathered at his feet, hoping that old Bill would give them all a yodeling treat. Candy canes and sugar plums, the little Jack and Jill. Couldn't hold a candle to a yodel from old Bill. Oh, yodeling Bill. He couldn't hold a candle to a yodel from old Bill. Bill lived a long and happy life. His yodel served him well. But at the age of 99, death finally rang his knell. And as old Bill was heading over that great divide, he let out a yodel when he reached the other side. Oh, yodeling Bill. He let out a yodel when he reached the other side. Oh, And now, pretentious readings from Scholastic Books. From the book, Where Did They Go? Lost Cities and Vanished Peoples by James Cornell, we bring you The Door to Nowhere. You desperately gasp for air, yet each breath sears your lungs as if you're inhaling icicles. The wind rips around you, tearing at your clothes and nearly knocking you down. Dizzy, faint, sick to your stomach, you push on toward the jumbled pile of stone. But what are these strange shapes? Giant monsters surround you. A pyramid looms overhead. Low walls run in every direction. Your mind is muddled, your vision blurred. Where are you? What is this place? Is it a nightmare or is it another world? Look, there's a doorway. Perhaps it's a way out. The way back to Earth. 
the way back to somewhere. But wait, the door is surrounded by beasts, horrible creatures with faces of vultures and bodies of men. What is that above you? A giant with lions and condors in his hair and a string of human heads about his waist. Do you dare enter? Yes, it's the only escape. Go through, now, run. You dash through the frightening gate, and on the other side, there is nothing. The bleak, treeless, empty landscape stretches to the horizon. The doorway leads to nowhere. High in the Andes Mountains of southern Peru, near Lake Titicaca, on the border with Bolivia, in a cold, barren valley, stand the eerie remains of a strange civilization that seems to be more from another planet than from this world. At 13,000 feet, where the thin air causes headaches, nausea, and fainting spells, a sprawling complex of stone ruins startles and surprises the unsuspecting visitor. There is a high pyramid with a small reservoir on its flattened crest. Several twenty-foot-high statues of stern-faced, chunky warriors surround a huge, sunken patio. But the strangest monument of all is the doorway to nowhere. Carved from a single ten-ton piece of volcanic lava, the structure is ten feet high and twelve feet wide. An opening cut in the center of this stone is surrounded by intricate carvings of fantastic creatures, half bird, half man. Looming over the entrance is the large, frightening figure of a warrior king, or perhaps a killer priest. What do the carvings mean? Why a doorway here? No one knows. Archaeologists have not deciphered the meanings of these ruins. The doorway is called Gateway to the Sun, and these are the ruins of the Tiwanawako people, a race of Indian warriors who preceded the Incas in Peru. The ruins of Tiwanawako have intrigued visitors since the days of the Spanish conquistadors. The strange, otherworldly atmosphere of this remote mountain city has led to some wild and generally fanciful suggestions about the origins of this lost civilization. For example, some writers claim Tiwanawako is the top of an island pushed up from the Pacific, or the original Garden of Eden. The Indians say Tiwanawako was built by a race of giants who angered God by worshiping animals and mountains instead of him, and were then turned into the stone statues found on the site. Perhaps the most imaginative theory is that the mountaintop provided the landing place for outer space visitors. According to this cosmic connection theory, the vulture-faced birdmen of the wall carving symbolize the ancient astronauts, and the gateway to the sun points to the origin of the extraterrestrial spaceships. Naturally, the unanswered questions of the ruins are enough to make anyone's imagination run wild. For example, it must have taken tens of thousands of men to quarry, haul, and then erect the stones at this isolated site. Why then, after all this work, did they abandon it? Where did they go, these builders on the mountaintops?
Thor Heyerdahl, explorer and archaeologist, thinks that the people of Tiahuanahuaco may have sailed west into the Pacific, taking their religion, language, and love of carving huge statues with them. Perhaps a few of these people did become seafarers, who took sail for the Polynesian islands, but most likely the people of Tiahuanahuaco found they needed more food than could be produced on the windy, rocky slopes of their mountain homes. So they moved down into the lowlands sometime around 1000 AD to conquer and control the fertile farms in the valleys. For the next 300 years, the Tiahuanahuancos consolidated many other separate tribes under their rule. Oddly enough, they never really formed a true empire. They ruled loosely, allowing other cultures to remain strong and independent under their casual control. Perhaps the Tiahuanahuanco chieftains always intended to return to their mountain homes and temples rather than settle in the valleys. Indeed, the priests probably remained behind in Tiahuanahuanco to keep the old religion alive. But the Tiahuanahuancos would not go home again. A new and powerful empire formed along the south coast of Peru. These new rulers, the Chimos, expanded and finally grew so strong they simply absorbed the Tiahuanahuancos. Meanwhile, the old priests of the Tiahuanahuanco waited in vain among their unfinished monuments. They died, perhaps still watching the stars for some sign that their followers would return. the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. 
Ah, beautiful Saturday. Favorite day of the week, wasn't it? Didn't have to go to school. Mom will let you have some sugary cereal, but... If, uh, if it maybe. was your mom. <laughs> <laughs> but the highlight... We had hay and we liked it. <laughs> it, it. And this time of year especially, every September, I got this weird feeling of phantom pain. It's like the little tickle in an amputated leg. You feel like you have a toe left, and I realize, oh yeah, there's no Saturday morning cartoons coming. That's that's and, it. It's and dead. No it's previews. All over. It's sad, but there were the glory days. Well, now you can watch them anytime you want, everywhere. But it it was different when they were special. When you, when you came to the one time, and everybody was waiting for it. Clear in August, they're already advertising in the comic books. You get it like, whoa, look at this. It's amazing Chan and a Chan Clan bunch or whatever, and whatever you keep going through. And they would um, get you all excited. And then those previews on um, the Friday before. Did they? Did you guys watch those? Did they have those later on? I know yeah. they had them clearly yeah. in the 90s. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. Greg and I would be what the, at each other's house. Like, or the very them. first one was the, hand, um, the Banana Splits one. And I think that was in 68. And... That was a rare one. The the one I remember most is the is the Lost Saucer with Ruth Buzzy and Jim Neighbors, and they they came down and they had the whole special. But most of the time they were, um, like people from primetime shows coming on. I think that was the weird thing, and they would, uh, probably later on they were more like you were watching, uh, you know, sitcoms at night, and they would they would reference like what was going to be on. On Saturday, oh, so they TGI like, Friday, yeah, well, that's what they yeah, did. Yeah, you know, the uh, the weirdest one, I didn't see it, but I just heard of it, and they had, uh, um, they had the girl from Annie back then. This is nineteen seventy seven. They had Artie Johnson, Leonard Nimoy, Ruth Buzzy, and Muhammad Ali, and they were all would show up and hey, like you open a door, and there it is, Muhammad Ali, and and all of these things. I'm sure with yours too, they would. The only thing they show the cartoon, they they somehow get to it, and then they would show you, like the opening, like the 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 theme music and the sequence, and then they would show you a little clip of whatever cartoon was coming on. But what was the one that we saw the other day? It was uh, not Bosom Buddies. No, Balky uh, Batarkamis or whatever. Yeah. Oh, uh, Perfect Strangers. Perfect Strangers <laughs> did it, and they happened that it was right before their show. So. They they were part of the TGI Friday lineup. They oh right, well, no right wonder. At... Yeah, and they would you know they would they would so they were responsible for the promos for what was going to come up, and you'd be watching the show, and then they'd Cousin they'd Dana. have either before the show or or uh, during the show there'd be some time when they would have it at a commercial, and they would they would make a commercial to see the commercial because it'd be like hey coming up, or you know next week we're going to have <laughs> you know the intros to the Saturday morning cartoons oh, or whatever. Shit. I haven't so, feel, I haven't feel like. So TGA Friday started at eight, and I think at seven thirty they did a preview with the TGA Friday group, and then I, I... well they used to stagger them, and so that I don't know later, but earlier they would stagger them so you, you could watch every single preview, so you you weren't oh. competing against each other on the different channels you're seeing. Yeah, all oh. the different channels. Yeah. Uh, it's probably pre-cable. And they were done in Canada and the United States. Nobody in the rest of the world really had Saturday morning cartoons like us. You'd think the or Japanese like the would get on that or something. Well, you know what? Maybe later, later they, they did. did. I'm not sure. But I, I know 
that uh, we were pretty much the beginning. God bless America. <laughs> now you were talking to me uh, oh, about Canada. the very first cartoon that came on uh, for a Saturday morning. Yes, according to Think Geek, the first Saturday morning cartoons came about the week of August 19th in 1950 on ABC. They they continued, and you look through all the, you can get the Saturday morning schedules, and you look, and they've got cartoons that they they really like repeating all the Bugs Bunny and all the all the uh, old tunes. ones, and but they had a lot of like oh Alakazam and the Amazing whatever the heck and Mr Green Jeans and that stuff. They had like live shows, you know, Beanie and Cecil and these things. And you see, like, somewhere around 64, 65, that it all goes to cartoons all of a sudden. And there's, like, very few live action. And the stuff I read about said it was about that time that they decided to make, to really... And there's also other stuff. There's not always kid shows during that time slot. But after that mid-60s, that's it. It's all kid shows. They were all in. And mostly it's cartoons. They wanted to... To be a red-hot laser point where kids come and then they can sell ads like crazy. And the first thing they did when they went to all cartoon thing was bring all the stuff from at night. Like the Jetsons and the Flintstones and, and just you know put them on so they don't have to create new stuff. Um, at a certain point, right, it was cheaper to make cartoons... Than live action, and then yeah. and then the, later on, right? So it was the voice cheaper to actors, make live action than to make cartoons. Those poor cartoon voice guys didn't make bucks, you know, until until later. Know, later, and but that was part part of the demise. They had all the limited animation back then. There was a bunch of different companies, and um, Hanna Barbera being the the big one, but all of them were doing the night time animation at this time, and it was like filmation. Um, Stan Burns in in, uh, in Mile Mermis, there they did like the Lancelot Link one, um, but there was, let's see, have they done studies on those things? I bet you if we did one, uh, they would have, uh, you know how how many frames per second to get fluid motion? They probably had, you know, four <laughs> frames per second. Well, what, what they mostly did is have. <laughs> still frames where the head would just turn or the mouth would just move that's about it that's that's what they uh, were going for oh yeah Jay Ward was another one remember he's George of the Jungle and Bowinkle and Fractured Fairy Tales and a thing called Total Television I never knew the name but they do Tennessee's Tuxedo and Underdogs oh. they were ones they were doing them some of those at night, too, and they were bringing them to Saturday morning. And uh, Fred Freeling from the Warner Brothers went in, um, it was Deep Hate Freeland. And they're the ones that did the Pink Panther and uh, the Ant and the Aardvark. And then later on, the Planet of the Apes. I don't know how that got in there <laughs> with the rest of that lineup. Yeah, that's weird. Was, was uh, Star Trek a Saturday morning cartoon as oh, well? Oh, yeah. That, that came later because the... Um, it's weird. The trend in the 60s was all like superhero and su and secret agent stuff. And, and a lot of it was done at night and brought. There was Adam, Ant, and Secret Squirrel. And Secret Squirrel had his little uh, Morocco mole. And they were and that was just a parody of, of, of um, 007. He was, he was secret agent 0000. <laughs> and 
Um, and it was Paul Fries and um, Mel Blanc did all the voices for oh, that cartoon. Man. Everybody, not just the two characters. Wow. Uh, but then, and of course, Johnny Quest, the favorite one, and the Herculoids, which came out of Johnny Quest, all that stuff. And then you get to the 70s, and they, they had all the t- parents groups on their back griping at them. And um, they started changing it to more funny and, and, and comedy stuff and to get weird TV show stuff on. Like the Brady Kids would be a cartoon, and uh, when Star Trek was part of it, and um, Gilligan on Mars or something like <laughs> they that. They had the Gilligan new planets. There yeah. was the new adventures of Gilligan's Island, which yeah. went into space like everything, just yeah. like Josie the Pussycats yeah. became an outer space. Um, and uh, it was bizarre. And then later, towards the eighties, they had like the Fonz and Friends, and yeah, and, yeah. and that was like they, they had, had a time a, machine or something. They had, <laughs> they had all kinds of stuff. They had you know Laverne and Shirley or the, and so Fonz that and was kind of, and anything you saw, um, and that's one of the reasons why they wanted to bring Saturday morning cartoons on because they found out the kids will rewatch watch cartoons forever, and they will not do that with live action. They get they get. Uh, you know, like everyone else, they don't want to see that many reruns. Johnny Quest went twenty years from one episode. <laughs> I mean, one season. That's all it was. There were twenty six episodes, <laughs> and it was the ones from night, and that's it. And the only thing they did in the seventy two that the parents group put so much pressure, they canceled it, and they brought it back later and just edited stuff out. Oh man! But, so no death scenes. But we can yeah. do it right now. Frank, my favorite thing is when he he, he used a, a wheelbarrow or something. He machine gunned into it and it ricocheted and killed somebody. I've definitely there. seen that one. So they didn't they didn't. Uh, I think uh, when they reintroduced it on on Cartoon Network, they 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 unedited. There was them. no edit. Yeah. Oh, that that was good. Yeah, because I definitely have seen. Oh, that. there's some they don't have though, because they have weird racist. Things like he's pretending to be a god one time he comes out of the water race bannon and it's like, come on you bunch of primitive monkeys, <laughs> you know, and, and and you can see in the edited thing his mouth is moving and nothing's coming out, <laughs> oh, but man. and um, just some you know and you're thinking like they didn't think that was kind of bad then, but you know we all forgive it because the artwork yeah. and and that artwork and and Haji. And Haji. <laughs> that, that Doug Wiley was the comic book artist that they got to be on the team. Uh, he designed it. He was pretty much the director. And they got him to come. They wanted to do um, Jack Armstrong, the All-American Boy. And when you look at the end of the, the original Johnny Quest and you see all the hovercraft over the desert and it goes oh, yeah, the yeah, plane yeah. and the natives throwing spears, that was the test stuff for... for uh, uh, Armstrong, All-American Boy. And they just, okay, we're going to stick it at the end of this. But they decided, of course, like, what are we doing this character? Nobody even knows the guy. Let's just make our own Johnny Quest. And, um, well, and so they did. It's the only show that appeared over the years on all three networks. Oh, wow. <laughs> they switched, switched. Oh, really? And oh, those man. are the same <laughs> what season of reruns they kept switching over and over. I mean, later on, they had the new Johnny Quest and all this stuff. I don't like that stuff, but it, that that was clear to the '80s, I think, before they they um, actually had new ones. Um, the music 
the great music man at the beginning that that was composed by a guy named Hoyt Curtin. And he did a lot of TV commercials. He did music for Plan 9 and Outer Space. Oh, oh. He did uh, music for the Top Cat and the Jensons and Super Friends and all the Josie and the Cat, And all the cues in Johnny Quest, all the bum, 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 bum. They used it for all their space stuff. So Herculoids has it in it. All the incidental music. It's good stuff. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, it is. It is. They had some pretty great voice actors back then they i mean now they do too but um juilliard trained yeah well johnny quest um was tim matheson and he's the guy from animal house that was eric stratton the otter and and he's also the guy in the very brady sequel where he's the ex-husband that comes back and he wants that horse statue and you know you recognize it from comedy yeah. and drama, and that's the guy from Johnny Quest. Oh man, he played Johnny, <laughs> and uh, the guy who did Ray Spannon, he's this guy named Mike Road, and uh, he did all sorts of stuff from Wild Wild Rest, I Dream a Genie, and uh, he was also Xander on the Herculoids, and he was on the Flintstones. He was that Go Go Ravine, that movie producer that tried to get, oh. tricked Fred to do all those. <laughs> crazy stunts and uh and ended uh, his career bandit was don mezic and he's the guy that did uh scooby-doo's voice too oh. and it's the dog just so yeah like oh yes knows. and um haji he he was in i the thought ma- casey Kasem did scooby-doo's voice You're no no he did shaggy, shaggy. but he, he did, did scooby-doo too for some later on oh he, you know what i bet later he did well we got to cover scooby-doo because scooby-doo it went from 69 to now. Yeah. They got, what is it? Be Cool Scooby-Doo yeah. that just come out in 2015. Scooby and Scrappy-Doo. Like, they oh have my so gosh. many things. It's crazy. Um, Hands down my favorite. Oh, we got we can't forget uh, Jade, though. Jade was the love interest of of, um, of uh, Race Bannon. Oh, man. <laughs> she was like a, a uh, soldier of fortune. And this brings us back to our own thing. She was married to Elliot Lewis, who played Frank Remley in in uh, oh, and, uh, character in in um, Phil Harris and Alice Faye show, <laughs> and and she was in the radio show and the TV and the movie uh, My Friend Irma, and she was Irma's roommate. Yeah, and that was her big uh, claim to fame. So I think Scooby Doo needs like a little special dedication here. It. Um, well, it's 69 to now, pretty much. And it, it they had a great designer. He was Iowa Takamoto, which I'm sure I'm butchering. But he worked as an animator and, and um, character designer on Cinderella and Peter Pan and Lady and the Tramp. And uh, he designed Astro and, and Scooby-Doo. And he, later on, he went on and directed uh, Charlotte's Web. Oh. oh, the animation does look similar. They um, now that you say that Scooby Doo was born out of parents causing trouble <laughs> with poor Fred Silverman. He was the head of daytime television, and he was having so much trouble that he decided he's going to make the Archies. So he started out. He got the Archies, and what I don't know is, did he create the Archies cartoon, and then the monkeys? producer guy come to him and say we want to do sugar sugar with the archies or how that happened because you know of course they had the number one hit with the with that on the archies and they would use it in the cartoon from then on 
And that show was a giant hit, and he wanted to just keep the ball rolling. So he went to Hanna-Barbera and said, I want a show where there is a band, and in the, and in the, um, the bunch of these teenagers and a dog, and they have a band, and the side they do crime solving. <laughs> they, went, they have a van or a band? No, a band. They were rock band <laughs> guys. And so, so, they, so they kept the van and dropped the band. <laughs> well, eventually they did. Well, Joe Ruby and Ken Spears, they were the writers. And they took their first pass. And so they based it on the Archies. And they had a dog, sheepdog, too, just like the Archies. And the dog was named Too Much. And it was called The Mysteries Five. And Silverman looked at that and said, this is crap. So then they decided, hey, let's do it like Dobie Gillis, which is that you know oh, yeah, yeah. show from the 50s. We all saw it at Nick at Night. And had Bob Denver. That's the one you can see because he's shaggy. When when he's his um, Maynard G. Krebs, the beatnik. Except he had like a little goatee and old uh, shaggy. They gave him like the the grandfather of uh, soul patches. Yeah. It was like ahead of its time. Um, so, and they turned the sheepdog into um, a Great Dane. And so they took that one and said, "That okay, that's better. This is fun." They brought it in. The president of CBS, Frank Stanton, saw it and said, this is too scary. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's too scary. They're scrambling. So Hanna-Barbera and all the writers get together and they, they just redo their presentation to sort of emphasize the fun stuff. Uh, and then they throw the band out at the same time and they want to, okay, we're going to emphasize Scooby and Shaggy now a bunch. And we're not going to call this dog too much anymore. <laughs> he claims he got the idea from Frank Sinatra at the end of uh, Strangers in the Night, where he's like, Scooby-Doo, we do That's what he claims. And so they called it, you know, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? And So that was the first Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? That's the first that's one. That's my favorite. The animation on that, that is so great. It, it's, it's my favorite, too. The monsters are great in it. That, it's funny because the, that... They're both good seasons, but in the second season, that's when they added all the music with them running, like all their chase sequences, and they they had little pop tunes going on. (laughs) And then, it's crazy all the way they were, I'm going over all the old cartoons, I'd say, oh, I love these things, and you find out, yeah, they had 18 episodes, and they just re-ran the heck out of it. Yeah, I, I found the same thing, like I was surprised how little episodes that were I'm like there had to be more than this it's crazy and and the first there were 17 episodes the first season and they made eight episodes the next season seven of which they had chase scenes with, with the music going on of the monkeys and then the next season was just all reruns the next maybe two seasons actually and then they did the scooby-doo movies which I almost forgot about, except for Don Knotts. And that's oh, yeah. He's Batman and Robin. Yeah. Yes. That's <laughs> yeah. crazy. And and Cass Elliot and yeah. Sandy yeah. Duncan. <laughs> and they even gave Sandy Duncan a little, like, like you could tell which ones are fake eye there on that. Yeah. And um, Jonathan Winters, Phyllis Diller. But then they'd have the Adams Family and Speed Buggy. The Harlem Globetrotters, I think. <laughs> of course, the Harlem Globetrotters. And that that was two seasons. Oh and, my gosh! And then after that, they re-ran them. They went. I I can remember that when they changed. I went. Yeah, they went back to the old ones, and I was happy to see reruns again. <laughs> and they did it for two years, and then by that time, Old Silverman was now working for ABC, and their option was coming out, and so. 
he convinced them to jump ship and go to ABC with him. And that's when it got screwy. Because every year they change it to something else. The first se uh, season, the 76-77, they had 16 new episodes, but they had Scooby Dumb at that point <laughs> oh, yeah. in the, as the character in every one mm -hmm. of them. Then they would... It was a big extravaganza show. Then they would have... Also, another the original old uh, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? And then they had Dynamite. And it was all on the show. And then the next season, they added Laugh Olympics <laughs> to this whole oh, mess yeah. of things. That was like the Battle of the Network Square with Hanna-Barbera oh, yeah. characters. And they'd all play each other. Um, and then the ratings started going down. And I hate to admit it, but it was saved by Scrappy-Doo which they started putting him in in 78 and 79. And then after that, they dedicated the whole show through the 80s to Scrappy Doo, basically. It, it was just Shaggy, Scooby, and Scrappy. And Scrappy. And I, I didn't like them. I kind of wanted yeah. to bring the other guys back. But it's crazy. It goes on beyond the scope of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> on Infinitum with all the movies and the parodies where they're making fun of it and uh, all the different incarnations of other TV shows like the other one, which I completely missed, which what was it, Mystery Inc. Oh, yeah, that, that one's relatively new within the past 10 years. Yeah. And uh, my favorite of the reboots is uh, probably a pup named Scooby-Doo. Oh. It was so funny. Like, the way they Was wrote, it good? Yeah, it was, was really it, funny. It was, was it supposed to be him? Uh, it, it was all all five of them, except that they're, like, kind of younger. They're not what, quite it, teenagers. It, 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 it's Scooby Babies, or what is this? Kind of like that, but it was just it was just so campy and funny, but it was... Was Shaggy huffing instead of taking real drugs in his youth? What was going on? Yeah, it was like they were in junior high or something, and, uh, and uh, it was I'll great. I'll have to, to receive that one. And as it got old, older, it was funnier. It was just kind of more, you know, culty, you know, it was just... They had interesting voice guys. The guy who played Fred is Frank Welker. And he's a guy that was in Computer Wars Tennis Shoes, and now you see him, now you don't. Oh. He was he was this character called Henry Farthington, and he was just one of the kids, you know. Mm -hmm. He was on the... And uh, he was in with Don Knotts, Had a Frame of Fig, did a lot of voice work. He was the monkey's voice in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Really? And he was Stripe in Gremlins. And oh, he was man. In a, he was in a movie called Dirty Little Billy. About Jack of all trades. <laughs> he does lots of great voices. He constantly gets stuck with normal voices. But, for instance, he went on in 1978. He was on a Dean Martin roast for George Burns. And he roasted George Burns as Walter Cronkite, and Henry Kistner, Muhammad Ali, David Frost, and Jimmy Carter. He was making fun of him and all those different doing voices. impressions. Yeah. yeah. Wow. He, he, when he went to the interview... He saw Shaggy thing. And I want the Shaggy thing, and they wouldn't let him do it. And Casey Kasem was like, "I don't want this hippie Shaggy guy. I want I want to do Fred." And they wouldn't let him. They were smart. They got they had the better voices. Yeah. The um, the girls are the ones that kept changing. They had um, Velma Dinkle, who was just sixty nine to seventy four. Was was Nicole Jaffe. And she was like in The Love Bug and, and all these different movies. And later she became an agent for John Travolta and Whitney Houston. <laughs> she did better when she got out of the voices. She looks like, she's a kooky character to look at her. She's great. She even now. And uh, in 76 to 79, it was Pat Stevens who took over for that role. And she was 
um, she was all the nurses in MASH, mainly MASH ba Nurse Baker, but then she would just come up as some other nurse, you know. Hey, that's Nurse Baker. I, I, don't, I wouldn't recognize that. But anyway. How old were you guys when you realized that Velma was actually Velma and not Thelma? Oh, I don't know. I don't, probably I thought now. it was Thelma right now. Forever, <laughs> and then it was Velma, and I was like, Velma, what is Velma? Well, and I was like, there ain't no damn Velma here. Well, Daphne, and I didn't know the last names like Daphne Blake. I only knew her as Daphne. She was sixty nine to seventy. That was Indira Stefiana Christopherson, who has Icelandic heritage. And she's the girl that did the jingle, reach out, reach out and touch someone oh, yeah. <laughs> for oh, AT&T. And then 1970 to 85 was the roommate of Nicole Jaffe, and that was Heather North. And uh, she was like on the Gidget Adam 12, and she was the girlfriend of Kurt Russell on um, the Barefoot Executive. Remember oh. they get that chimp? Remember that hot blonde? <laughs> well, that was her. So they finally got someone to match, you know, the redhead's looks. But um, Scooby-Doo, that's a that's a giant among That cartoons. was always my favorite as a kid. But there's there's so many other ones. What are some of the ones of later? Because that's where I missed out. I'm, I'm like the 60s and the 70s. So, of course, you know, all of our thing is, you know, G.I. Joe and... And, Those uh, were killer. That and, wasn't really Saturday morning, though. Those were during the oh, week. Oh, that's right. Now they right. So the, yeah. they start, They would introduce them sometimes on Saturday morning, and then they would go to be syndicated. Well, well, well I was a religious GI Joe watcher, and, yeah. they, and they never went I on Saturdays. What was, what was during the week? Well, uh, but now, how about Trans War Z and, and and Voltron and all those? Were all those during Vo the week? Voltron was during them, the week. A lot of they them were, were during, the week. during the week. Well, yeah. what were some of the Saturday morning ones, though, back Well, I, now what you say about the parent thing in the 70s makes sense because they were all, you know, they would take the superheroes and they'd become friends. It was the super friends. <laughs> That's right. And that, Form of, you know, something boring. That, <laughs> that morphed into different things over the years. And then uh, also was Spider-Man and his amazing friends where he oh, was in right. college and he had roommates. He had Iceman and, and uh, Firestarter who was supposed to be like the flame, but they couldn't get the rights, I guess. So, so Muppet Babies was, was on. That was on Saturday. Was that Saturday that, right? morning? That was one of the first Star Wars parodies besides the, Hardware oh, Wars. And they did it great. Like, I was talking to, to Frank about that. It, it was clean, just like the, the family so guy, precious. shot for shot. You know, like, it was That's really very cool. i got to see that yeah, episode. No, no, no. Yeah. It, it actually was, uh, it was funny because when we were doing our Star Wars episode, I was going through the stuff and I totally had forgotten that one. And one of the people were like, their, their top one was... One of them was Muppet Babies, yeah. and I was like, "Yeah, I totally remember that." But one. they did a lot of good par fun parodies. Yeah, it was, it was very creative, and yeah, it was really cool. It was good. My, one of my favorite shows, and I I like all shows that that uh, have uh, people building crap and like you know you know tinkerers or all that kind oh, of yeah. stuff. So I and I kind of like the idea of you know it's like a ripoff of the borrowers, but the little the little the littles. <laughs> I love the littles. Yes, that that's was like good. one of my favorite because. It was, you know, little people right in the walls of, uh, you know, of this wretched old man's house, and his 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 uh, nephew, great nephew, comes to visit, to live with him because <laughs> his parents die or whatever, and they, the guy discovers the that there's little people and they got they got uh, tails like mice, they're a cross between mice and uh, and uh, men, yeah, and they're as small as mice. They have mice tails. But anyway, so they had yeah, 
they had all this stuff that they had built from like toothpicks or pins and you know they built buttons all, and all kinds of stuff they that's built very cool. out of out of this uh, whole city yeah this whole thing and they had like this this uh, like a train thing that they rode on and it like yeah. was like a roller coaster that, that went through the walls and stuff how they got places fast that like a little teacup the animation was really fun so all that was stuff a, was that super fun I that think. had a, was that a Rankin and Bass thing I don't it think had so. kind of a look of that it did but I don't think you know I don't, I don't, all their shows were made in Japan you know oh yeah yeah I mean they did all they they were the first ones actually in the sixties to have this stuff made there. And you know they did all the design and stuff here, and had him actually build and, and even directing them there. And they had um, they had some other stuff that was you know they had like Garfield and Friends, right? That oh, one was yeah. very well written too. It was very funny and and and, uh, and then I always thought it was a ripoff, but I kind of liked it every time I saw it. it was like the Heathcliff because again they had stuff that they build and their car turned yeah. and like it was like yeah. this guy that was just like basically a trouble man troublemaker but he lived in a junkyard it was a cat and <laughs> and but he had like all these like secret shoots I shoots. like him already he had these secret shoots that would he would go down and it would be a slide into a car that turned into a boat and you know, right his whole junkyard yeah that, the that whole junkyard cool. turned into it was like junkyard wards but uh, with cats it was it was pretty cool too so that was definitely and then they had like uh you know what's funny is that we watched a lot of after school things because all you know Transformers, uh, uh, GI Joe, all of those. We, Voltron, we did too, were, but were, that, but that's when they really started syndicating were, everything. Or after school, but what I'm that's saying, part of the death of it. So, because some of the best stuff was getting after school. So for us, I think the the better cartoons were on 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 the weekdays. So what I remember it might have been easier to see him too because it's Saturday. I don't know about you, but Saturday had to be bad weather, or, or you know, yeah, we were out to in. we were supposed to play or go work or something. The best day is like a cold, rainy day where you could sit through all the cartoons, and then and then you see you got to make a little uh, a little detour into Soul Train, and then came <laughs> Outer Limits, and then came Creature Features, and that was like the perfect day if you could make it through all those if you not, could make it through Soul and Train. not be thrown out of the house and like get out of here you're not supposed to be wrecking your brain on this stuff so what I, what I was going to say is that I, I think the thing that I remember most about Saturday morning cartoons in the 80s is that uh, is all the bad ones <laughs> to shove down what are, so what are some of those and I have that's probably that education I stuff. have a little I, well no this is, I guarantee you I have some some right here well, bring them on out and, I, uh, I, I miss so, those some I, of the I was busy gainfully employed at that point. And I've been reluctant to say some things because I had a feeling they might go on this list. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, they had a lot of they had a lot of stuff that were was blatant ripoffs of of things, uh, or you know, as I get into the list, it's uh, you know they just you'll see. The, the first one I want to mention though, and I actually remember this because you know I, I looked it up and I I heard the the theme song or whatever. And I'm like, I can't believe. That they did it was perfect for for the eighties, but I, I don't know because I I, I, I kind of researched it, but it wasn't because of Beverly Hills nine hundred two one zero, but they had the Beverly Hills Teens and it was put out in nineteen eighty seven. I don't remember that. And the gist of the thing is the group of uh, a group of disgustingly wealthy teenagers living up in Southern California. It's like <laughs> debauchery. Or that was like, a cartoon. <laughs> it was. Look, that's the, a reality show. Knee. What are you the, talking? The show embodied the me first spirit of the nineteen eighties. <laughs> they, they 
They each feel that they're like the center of their own world. <laughs> How the, do they sell the this? The star Lark is a beautiful blonde. It's dating Troy. <laughs> Bianca is the brat who tries to take Troy from Lark. <laughs> wow. James Chester, really. Chester shows off his genius by building crazy inventions. Bianca's servant. <laughs> uh, there's a bab- the babbling bimbo of gossip. There's all kinds of stuff. Needless to say, it only lasted seven or ten episodes, but... That's that's uh, and that was know, Saturday morning. That was Saturday. Because that sounds like something would be after school. It does, but it was definitely Saturday morning. You the, really threw down the gauntlet the, with your the, first one. The next oh, one is yeah, uh, it's gonna make. And this nice. actually lasted three three years. I remember this too. Um, and God loves uh, John Candy, and you might have liked it, but it's the <laughs> the Camp Candy. I I never from, saw it, but I remember 80, the commercial. Eighty nine to ninety one. Now why is that bad? Though? You know, it's because they. Because the writing. Frank. No, well, it's because once <laughs> again, he had nothing of, to do with it. Because of the no, name. he voiced no, no, it. He it voiced was it. Voiced. Yeah. The, the only reason I put this on it is because it's kind of the beginning of what I remember as being stuff shoved down our throats. Jumping the shark. They they had uh, you know a conniving businessman named Rex DeForest <laughs> who wanted to raise the forest and build condos, and oh, they were fighting against them. And even I back then, you know, twelve year old self was like, "Come on, man, <laughs> this is nonsense." Please do not shove that nonsense down my throat. So I have to put it on there because what's, what's another one now? So they they had uh, they had part of uh, well so Rubik the Amazing Cube. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> they had they had several things, several cartoons based on video games. In fact, the next one they had uh, the Saturday Supercade right from 1983 to 84. We'll what go over that, that but. Uh, First, let me get back to the Rubik the Amazing Cube, which is quite possibly one of the worst cartoons ever made. Um, it, Rubik, if you if you watch the trailer, you'll get the whole gist of the thing. But Rubik is owned by a gypsy man. <laughs> nice. All right. And, some, and, some racism still left over. Rubik falls out of his gypsy wagon. <laughs> oh my! Okay. Of an evil magician, and becomes the who becomes the main villain of this series. Rubik helped. Uh, three siblings, Carlos, Lisa, and Ronaldo Rodriguez, in foiling the magician's attempt to recover Rubik. <laughs> Once Rubik was recovered by a detective who was a relative of the magician, <laughs> who then decided the children should keep Rubik, as the magician would use him only for evil purposes. <laughs> the, only redeeming, the only redeeming thing of this all is that I saw... Uh, an episode, and the kids were making fun of Ronaldo, and they called him Retardo. And I thought that <laughs> was funnier than anything when I was a kid. I apologize. It's not. Uh, it's not PC, and I. I apologize, but I was uh, thought that was pretty funny. Now moves on to the Saturday Supercade from 1983 to 1984. Saturday Supercade was an animated television series produced for uh, Saturday mornings by by Ruby Spears. And it ran for two seasons on CBS beginning in 1983. Each episode is composed of several shorter segments featuring video game characters from the golden age of video games. And golden age is a loose like a term. Like before that. So Frogger? So Frogger. Cubert uh, had one. Yeah, Frogger. Donkey Kong. Uh, Fro- Frogger was an ace reporter. <laughs> By day, yeah. He was trying to find it, get his scoop, and every once in a while he would be flattened <laughs> by, a, by a semi <laughs> on his way to catching the scoop. So they had Donkey Kong, and, uh, and that was with Mario and Pauline <laughs> from the Donkey Kong game. 
They had Donkey Kong Jr. They had Qbert, right? And they had Coily and Ugg and Wrongway, Slick and Sam. And uh, Pitfall Harry, that was the first year. Oh, yeah. That was a cartoon. And, that was a game? Yeah, Pitfall. Pitfall. Remember Pitfall oh, was an Atari okay, game. okay, yes. And uh, he had his pet mountain lot, <laughs> his pet mountain lion, Quick Claw. Little, and little his known, niece, Rhonda. <laughs> little known fact, PlayStation put out a Pitfall game years later. Guess who voiced it? One Bruce Campbell. Oh, well, it's that a great. It's fun it. just playing, listening for his voice. So, so Pitfall and Cubert rotated weekly, while the other three were were uh, were weekly. During the second season, Cubert now weekly and Donkey Kong remained while the Frogger, Donkey Kong, and Pitfall uh, Harry segments were replaced by shorts uh, featuring Space Ace and uh, Kangaroo. <laughs> oh, well, Space Ace would have been cool. That was Don Bluth animation, so. That would have been kind of nice. If they just showed the animation, forget the rest of the story. We just had to see him. And, uh, you know, honorable mention uh, is, you know, all the w- ones we were talking about. Gilligan's Planet. <laughs> see, that Fons was... and Friends. And <laughs> and what was the one Laverne and Shirley joined the army? There was one. There was at just the same time. All of these blatant, you know, rip-offs of... Uh, I mean, not spin-offs. They're spin-offs, right, of, of, of cartoons and... and uh, and a lot of them, you know, like Star Trek was kind of cool because they did the exact same episodes, but it didn't matter because they were cool. But other times, you know, these other things, they did the episodes and they didn't translate or they had to, they couldn't have done, it's not that they had adult themes, but they had themes that, you know, wouldn't have been appropriate and, you know, just different jokes. So they, I mean, they didn't translate well. My last, my last one is, is the pro stars. <laughs> and that's What a, was that? That's <laughs> Get a load of this. See, so... It was originally attended for ESPN, <laughs> so ESPN was going to. They were going to have their own Saturday. They were going to have a Saturday morning cartoon, and the show centers on Michael Jordan, <laughs> Bo Jackson, and Wayne Gretzky fighting as, as cartoons. Yes, fighting crime and helping children, <laughs> <laughs> often protecting the environment as well. <laughs> yeah, it was very green. <laughs> yes, uh, these three were chosen to re- represent the pinnacle of all the four major American base uh, professional sports. And uh, you know Jordan was obviously basketball, Gretzky, and then they got Jackson, so he could he could represent football and baseball, <laughs> so they didn't have to have a fourth character. Um, so <laughs> Jackson was included, yeah. So and they had every every uh, now and then they had some some uh, catchphrase or I mean something that would tie in Bono something. Bo knows how to fish. <laughs> was, hey, that's that is a good part. I I want to have little clips of Bo knows this and, and that. And, you yeah. know, it was it was kind of funny because they they it would have been all right, but then they they turned Wayne, Wayne Gretzky kind of into the slapstick bubbling kind of dude. And, and I never knew this. <laughs> I think he was the only one that actually voiced. I think Bo Jackson and, and Michael Jordan did not use their voice, but Wayne Gretzky. Now, what year so that was that? Weird thing. Yeah. Uh, late 80s, early yeah, 90s. I, I, it was uh, 88, it I think. It was at the end of the Empire. Yeah. 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 But anyways, they yeah, they made it look... They, they <laughs> it, was, it was very bad, and, and so... I, I love the 70s cartoons, and even the, even the misses, I kind of... Like them a lot better than the the eighties misses. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, they they shoved down your throat better. That when they got in trouble, you know, remember they had all those spots in between commercials. Yeah, and ABC especially because they had the you know the Schoolhouse Rock and Time for Timer and Bide Squad, and the others not so good because they you know CBS had in the news and NBC had one to grow on, and which, the, those are more boring. Which but, one were the, was the uh, like exercise your chompers. 
I think that was the bod squad because that also had and you got a yuck mouth about brush your teeth and and uh, what was the one about watch out for the munchies and uh, oh yeah. What about beans and rice? Beans and rice. Yes. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was. Beans <laughs> and now and rice. beans and rice aren't good for you. That was all It's high in carbs. That will kill you. Um, Thanks a lot, 70s, for my gut. <laughs> and then nutty gritty, nutty gritty. Remember the snack? <laughs> yeah. With yeah. The, there's crazy. But my famous favorite one, I mean, we're not talking about the schoolhouse rock because everyone knows that. And that's the best, hands down. That's. That's kind of spectacular. Yeah. But my oh. second favorite is the timer guy. You know, time for timer. Oh, yeah. That little yellow glob guy with the long nose. He always had a lasso, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, he didn't, but just everyone knows the hanker for a hunk of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> but he also showed you how to take toothpicks in cellophane, remember, and an ice cube and make these. Yeah, that's a terrible treat. There. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was all that. That came... And and I used to laugh because I was older, and I I go that's from that after school special, because it was, it was the um, incredible and edible magical physical mystery trip. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, and yeah. it was Uncle Carl's body. It was uh-huh. like Uncle Frank's body now, going inside, <laughs> and and uh, oh yeah. And remember at the end they're trying to explain he's not he's not listening and he's eating, and Ooh. you're thinking this is hideous. Uncle <laughs> Carl's gonna die because I just saw his heart. Yeah. <laughs> but timer was like the sense of timer timing. Like, oh, it's time for a bowel movement, or it's time for him to... <laughs> time to brush your teeth. Yeah, or time for him to yawn. And he had that little big uh, pocket watch that would go off. And then there was uh, the magical mystery trip in Little Red's head, which was all about emotions of a teenager. And for some reason, it's Little Red Riding Hood. That had to come in the 60s. <laughs> no, that was 70s. That one was in, in uh, 74. That was right after that. But after that, they turned him into the spokesman. For you know, everything healthy and and <laughs> I only remember the ice cubes and the hanker for a hunk of cheese. I know they must have done lots of them, but that's the only thing that sticks in my mind. I feel I, like there was one about brushing your teeth or something, but they, I think they that was Yuckmouth. Oh, that was the Bod yeah. Squad. Bod Squad had pretty good stuff, and I think that's the chomper one you're talking about. It was like Fonzie or whatever, like you know. Fonzie looking dude, and he's like, Exercise your chompers, really. <laughs> Exercise your chompers, also. Well, food. we've talked only about the cartoon so far, but there was a lot of great live action. I mean, just with Sid and Marty Croft stuff. But remember Run Joe Run, the, the uh, German Shepherd that got framed or something, and he was always on the run from place to place? It was, uh, that was Saturday morning, and it was, it was like, it was a dog, but it was like the, uh, the, um, Oh, what's the movie and the TV show? The Fugitive. Oh. <laughs> it, was, it was a German Shepherd fugitive show. <laughs> We'd run in, get a new master every time. Oh, look at this nice dog. And uh-oh, then the army's after him because he attacked somebody. He was like an army dog, like a Rin Tin Tin Was canine. he a crack commando force? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> special people? Because, you know, they, they didn't have him talk or anything. It was like a real dog. What about Pryor's Place? What was Pryor's place? That that was Richard Pryor's like Sesame Street, Mister Rogers. And how and, long uh, did that last? Uh, quite a few seasons. And wow, you gotta go on YouTube the the intro because it was done by Ray Parker of Ghostbusters, <laughs> and it is it, it is so campy eighties. You know, he like he's dancing and. It, and and uh, that was my introduction to Richard Pryor because was it the eighties or when uh, was it? late seventies early eighties I think wow. I probably caught some of it in syndication but 
But, uh, you know, when people would describe Richard Pryor as this filthy comic, I'm yeah, like, that's not I, who I know. I, I don't know. That's about? not the, the Richard Pryor I know. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a real in-depth one on bullying. And Richard, Richard Pryor was talking about... So a lot of times Richard Pryor would play all these characters and then there would be little Richie who would be kind of him as a kid. So he'd be telling the story about this bully. <laughs> was it a real kid or was it him? Trying... It was a real kid. Oh, okay. you know. And then, and then the kid would interact with these people and it's Richard Pryor dressed up you know, as, a, as an old man or a, a Rasta guy or whatever. It was pretty great. That's awesome. I have to look that up. I, uh, I don't think you knew this, but there was a British show called uh, Here Comes the Double Deckers, and they had a double decker bus. That was live? Yeah, it oh, was live action. And they were all like, dun, 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 you know, they're like a band, and they're like a, a bunch of the monkeys, basically, you know. That came on. That was that was from. Oh man, somewhere. I never saw that one. The my favorite early one, of course, is the Banana Splits, which had a bunch of stuff on it. But the favorite is Danger Island. You know where they're there are the, all these pirates, but it was modern day pirates. I'm going. These didn't look like pirates. Well, they were like criminals. You know, and they had that guy they named him, named him Chongo. <laughs> And it was, uh-oh, Chongo, and he'd just babble around. He's like somebody feeble in the head. And uh, he was a character in that show. But Danger Island, it was like five minutes. And I, you know, as a kid, I'm thinking, oh, this is exciting. And you watch it later, and it's like, this is a weird comedy thing with three stooges and routines in it. I, I honestly can't believe we've gone this far, and we this hasn't been mentioned Quite possibly my favorite, right everything that ever came of Saturday morning cartoons, Pee Wee's Playhouse. That's what I was gonna uh, say right now. <laughs> was that on Saturday morning? It yep, was, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And yeah. that is live action, but yeah, I was gonna say. Well, there that. was some animation, so I definitely it falls. Well, all the these, uh, all yeah. these things had a the little King bit of cartoons. Of animation. And, yeah. Oh, that has to be the best day t- uh, live action. Even after my old favorites from the seventies, that's still my favorite. even more than the city Sid and Marty Croft. Yeah, I'd say so because I like it better. But I mean, you know. There's always a place in my heart for, for Lidsville. For bad, for bad puppetry. <laughs> it, oh, that stuff was so great. But but Pee Wee, that was on another level. Yeah, I, I was just about to bring it up. You know, I mean, because I didn't realize that, it because by the time I was watching, I didn't know what it was on. You know. Yeah, definitely Saturday mornings when that I can remember being really excited about the, the first end. episode. Yeah. That's very cool. That was the pinnacle. It was. Uh, yeah. Was we, it just two seasons or three seasons? Oh, I thought it's more than that. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, thought, no. It's it's because uh, because it had it had like like the, the, the one season was during a, a writer strike, so it only had like eight episodes or something. But uh, I I want to say like five, but I I'm 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 almost sure that it's not because I think I, I you purchased them. I got them for Christmas. Oh, <laughs> so uh, we I well I only have three. Well, remember, and every they, season could be you know they could they could have seasons with their own reruns. Yeah, yeah. You know and they, they also go. have. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that's true. And they also had a Christmas special, which is I, one of my I, favorite. still, still holds up. Well, yeah, I that's wonderful. That. Yeah, Pee Wee's. Uh, I I think my second favorite was this Croft Super Show. Cause that had was a, that cartoon or was no, it a live action? That had Electra Woman and Dinah Girl. Oh, <laughs> and that had Doctor Shrinker, Captain Cool and the Kongs. That was like the fake group that would introduce them. They were like, and they would have live shows that they would show them at because they had a Croft show at Atlanta, Great Flags or you know yeah. Six Flags, whatever. They'd take that part and and they just that would be the. Um, then there's Wonder Bug, which is basically like the cartoon. Um, there was that. What was the other cartoon about a doom buggy? 
that could oh, talk. Yeah. Well, this was this was Wonder Buggy, and then there was uh, Magic Mogo the genie, and then of course my favorite. Bigfoot and Wild Boy <laughs> with this Bayaba. <laughs> that was the weirdest grouping of shows. And Dr. Shrinker was great because of old Billy Barty as the assistant. <laughs> weirder Dr. than Shrinker. the Mr. T cartoon? <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. That, and, that, I, and weirder than Muhammad Ali cartoon? <laughs> that was another one, Mr. T, I forgot. They, and they had a, a Hulk Hogan one. They had all kinds of yeah. them. Yeah, Mr. well, see, T- that's, that's part of the live action, you know. Uh, but these were cartoons. No, that's what I mean. The yeah. transfer that starting yeah. in the 70s that they that they started doing with having, like, Mr. TV Mr. T shows. was a gymnast coach, and he had this team of gymnasts, and they go around solving mysteries. <laughs> that That is the best thing ever. I wish I was I never saw how one. Come, that, how come every... Every cartoon is they gotta solving solve mysteries. <laughs> There's even they a Karate Kid cartoon. Yep, there was a Karate wow. Kid cartoon. Short-lived. It was only like a season and a half. That's crazy. I, I don't... There was a lot of, of, of Was that, that all these are 80s or is that late 70s? No, these are all 80s. That's all 80s, was, yeah. There, yeah. Some of these things are way ahead of their time. There was a thing in, in 73 and 74 called Bailey's Comets, and they were... They were um, like a roller skating teams, but it was done. It was done like the Great Race because they traveled all over the world, oh, and they that. had to find clues to. And they were going for the million dollar prize, and then they would try to knock each other off, and they, you know they would get oh, in trouble. Man. And they were, it was just like the Amazing Race, and that's like uh, seventy three and seventy four. Um. Yeah. Well, and then they then they did. Reruns, <laughs> of course, for a lot of the seasons. All these shows, like you said, I used to like that was like that. The Wacky Races. Did you ever see the reruns of that? Maybe that was on Boomerang or whatever. But that's, I don't think I saw that's that the one that introduced, um, you know, Muttley the dog. Oh, okay. Oh. And uh, what was it? Was Dastardly was the yeah. guy, and they had like two spinoff shows with those. That there was only seventeen episodes of Wacky Races, but they were great because every every time was a race, and they had the guy from Green Acres as the narrator. He was like the ticket guy. Whenever you know uh, Mr. Douglas was trying to get the heck out of that crazy lead poison area, he would never be able to get out of town because the ticket guy was always messing up or saying we only have tickets to this or to that. Anyway, he was the narrator. And they had like the Slag Brothers, which were like cavemen in their Boulder Mobile. They had the Gruesome Twosome, which had like a hearse with like a belfry, and then monsters would come out and help them. There was the, what was the caveman one again? What's that? That was the Slag Brothers, oh. and they were just like two cavemen. They looked like cousin it sort of with arms coming out. I think I, rem- I I'm remembering this as Bailey's Comets, but that's what I'm remembering. Oh well, you this. know Bailey's Comets, they had their own characters too. Because there was Captain Caveman too. I forgot. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. But yeah. this is earlier. Yeah. yeah. Penelope Pitstop, she had the compact pussycat, which was just pretty much all these mechanical things that would do her makeup for her basically <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty that's sexist. not sexist <laughs> sergeant blast and private meekly there was the anthill mob which was weird because the anthill mob was a bunch of sawed off gangsters and there was the perils of penelope pitstop which was you know they they kind of took that from it and that was they were the heroes in that one. They were always rescuing Penelope from from Paul Lynn, basically, because he was the hooded claw, who was they, that was like a uh, 
you know, like a melodrama or all those silent movies. And then the other one they took out of that was the Dastardly and Muttley and their flying machines. That's the one where they're always trying to get that pigeon. That's where the song, Stop That Pigeon, Stop That Pigeon. <laughs> so much so that I think everybody knows that is uh, Stop That Pigeon. And uh, that was, uh, is Paul Winchell always did Dick Dastardly. He's the guy, you know his voice because he did Tigger. But he also, he was um, he was on that show called Run Around, and their big thing was Scotty Waddy Duda. <laughs> and he also invented the first mechanical heart. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> which was, which was uh, you know, uh, uh, it wasn't the final one, but it, it, it paved the way for future science. And that was good old Paul Winchell. All right. Innovator in many fields. Yeah. <laughs> that guy was awesome. He, all those great old um, voice artists. Um, you know, and these are just some of the names we've talked about. Uh, I liked, anyway. Uh, one thing that was a very early show, which I don't know if you guys knew. Do you remember the King Kong show? It was no, it was a Rankin no. and Bass back when they used to be called Videocraft, and they had it was a cartoon made in Japan for America, and it was King Kong saves a kid from the jungle, then he becomes friends with the family, and and it's all their adventures. That's the one that's King Kong. You know the name of King Kong, ten times as big as a man. <laughs> and uh, that sounds great. That was like Jack Davis. Was one of the designers and uh, Rod Willis. He did remember the cricket on the hearth. That a cartoon that was like a special, and the Return of the Oz and uh, yeah, yeah. Oh. the Smokey the Bear show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Paul yeah. Coker he he designed Frosty the Snowman and Santa Claus Coming to Town. But anyway, that was um, that was a great show. But it is terrible when you watch it again. All these shows. You know, half of them, we, we, it was like radio. We've added a lot <laughs> to the show ourselves with our imaginations. They all had great design. They had a lot of great story stuff. But as far as the animation, it was true. It was limited animation. The King Kong was stop animation or what was no, it? No, it was um, um, cartoon. Uh -huh. It was a cartoon. Oh. But you know how they did both. Yeah. You know, like Frosty the Snowman right, was cartoon. Yeah. And... Uh, and the others were um, that other thing. Just like um, if we go back to the old superhero ones, ones that are my favorite still is also the Herculoids, and that's another one which it ran one season and they just eighteen episodes and they just reran everything. And that was a weird cartoon because when you watch it later, you discover the whole thing of these guys are a bunch of luddites are just trying to keep. Uh, technology off their planet. They dress like cavemen, but they can fly a spaceship. Um, and there's like the three humans, and then they got the the like the um, Xandar, which is their leader, the wife Terra, the son Dorno. But then they got Zok, that flying reptile, shoot lasers out of its eyes and yeah. its tail. Oh, yeah. And uh, Igu, the rock gorilla. And then that Tundra, which is like a rhino triceratops eight-legged something or other and then the uh, gloop and gleep like 
Which, by the way, they did that like two times and they used it for everything. Because <laughs> Hanna-Barbera was on the cheap. But uh, that was very uh, a great show. But it's weird because that's it. They were always trying to stop technology from coming to this planet. Come on, get a VCR, get a microwave. It's not going to kill you. <laughs> what about the other people on that planet? They're not superheroes, and they yeah, and they're not allowed. It was, a, it, was a, it was an environmental message, man. It was, it was. We're using too much, uh, too many resources. Well, that's it. They're trying to stop it. I liked uh, Frankenstein Jr. and the Impossibles. That that's oh, that's man. another thing they used to do in the sixties too. Was all those music groups? They had remember they had the Beatles. And the Frankenstein Jr. had the Impossibles, which that's probably what got in Fred Silver's little bonnet because they were like a Beatles band that were superheroes on the side. You know, they would come out of their costumes, yeah. fight crime. Um, and Frankenstein Jr. was just a robot. I thought it was Frankenstein, but the other Frankenstein spinoff guy I like was Old Milton the Monster. Did they ever show those? I reruns? don't remember seeing that. No. They were. It was the scientist was had a mold of uh, a monster and he was pouring in different liquids. Like one was the um, the essence of terror and sinister sauce. And then he was kind of afraid this guy might kill me. So I'm going to put a little tincture of, uh, um, what was that called? A tincture of tenderness. And then his assistant bumps him and a bunch gets in there. And then he's just like this big, dumb, friendly monster when he comes out who, who takes off his hat and some steam can shoot out of his top of his head like he's the tin man <laughs> and that added a, a, another a great intro it's like the milton the monster show they had uh hebe which was a skull face guy in the top hat and gb who was like this one-eyed guy it was a weird weird show <laughs> and none of these shows tried to um teach you anything useful <laughs> it was all just weird That's entertainment kind of and stuff for laughs that's basically it how about the groovy ghoulies that was a good oh one. my gosh that's a great one yeah that that's another i think that's filmation but yes it's sabrina the teenage witch and then all spin off of the archies yeah basically josie and the pissycats was an archie comic thing she was all like I, the ghoulies were on the comic of Sabrina, but Sabrina was a comic. Josie was a comic. All these were those little digest-sized comics from the guy who made the Archies. And they made, I guess the Archies got so big, they started making, you know, let's do anything that has to do with the Archies. People will buy anything. I like Josie and the Pussycats, though, but there again, they're trying to get a band that's that's fighting crime or solving mysteries on the side. What What's this fixation like? with that? Because... Because the Archies didn't solve any crimes. <laughs> and they were the hit. But everyone had tried to... It's like they wanted to do a mystery show. How do we hide this from the parents? Oh, yeah, we make it a rock band. What are the parents going to like these scantily clad women? <laughs> I know, right? I don't think so. I mean, we liked it. But uh, I don't think parents group would like it. I, think I don't they, think that you, you said the Archies didn't solve mysteries. They solved whether Veronica was going to go out with Jughead. <laughs> yeah. they never, that was a mystery to me. They who, was, never, who, was, who was Jughead taking to prom? Well, it wasn't Jughead. <laughs> believe me, it was Archie. Yeah. There was the blonde and the uh, brunette always after him. Who could forget 
Hong Kong Fooey and Jabberjaw. Oh yeah. <laughs> Did you guys see the Jabberjaw one? That that was getting towards the end. Yeah, they, they showed that. Yeah, they showed all that stuff. And uh, what grape, about what about, ape. <laughs> what about uh, like George of the Jungle and all that stuff was sixties and, and uh, uh, Super Chicken and yeah oh yeah that was all Jay Ward Rocky and Bullwinkle he's a he's all that he's Rocky Dudley Do Right Tom Slick all that stuff and that was the sixties none of those really translate into great films like all the movies they oh, made just well. kind of. I, most of these things don't transfer. It's a miracle when these uh, anything. Ah, uh, and I say this without any sarcasm. <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats is a great film. <laughs> yeah, but that's just like that's that's the exception that proves the rule. I love that film. It's a, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. Well, I, I especially like that first five minutes with the boy band, with them yeah. all arguing as they're going down in the crash. <laughs> that's they're singing. A, Backdoor lover. <laughs> <laughs> That's their hit. <laughs> it's like Seth Green and, and uh, a, bu- uh, a bunch of the other guys, uh, you know, some other people that they know. The guy from uh, Scrubs, the, you know, that was in the, the black guy from Scrubs that was in uh, uh, the boyfriend in, in uh, um, oh, Clueless. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's one of the dancers. <laughs> and, you know. Do you guys remember Command- Commander McBrag? Which and so goes the tales of McBrag, and he would just tell big boastful lies. That was, and they would have, they would animate the story. No, but that <laughs> sounds cool. Then there was Tennessee Tuxedo. You knew him and his walrus. Uh, I, they that would just get all. Familiar. They would get all. He he would he imitated or it really was I don't know which. Um, oh, who's get smart? My brain. Don uh, Don Adams. Yeah, yeah. Don. yeah, Don Adams. He had Don Adams' voice. That's what it basically was. And oh, okay, Tennessee yes, Tuxedo yes. will not fail. <laughs> yeah. Then there was Klondike Cat. Yep. Who yep. was always after the French-Canadian mouse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> An underdog. All that stuff. Fearless Fly. We could go on and on. But sadly, just like our podcast, Saturday mornings came to an end. And I don't know. There was a lot of different reasons, really. There's not just one. We talked about one of them right here was was all the uh, good cartoons going to after school, basically on a daily basis. But that you know that happened pretty early in the '80s, and and the Saturday morning cartoons lasted until last year, actually, officially. What what was the the um, you were talking about it earlier, the government. Uh, rules that came in. The well, show. yeah, the the FCC said that all bro- broadcast channels they had to they had to have. Uh, it didn't apply to the basic cable stations, but they had to have between the hours of seven a.m. and ten p.m. They had to have three hours of educational type programming with with less commercials. Was that on so, Saturday morning itself? So they, from, they made from it. seven a.m. to ten p.m. on Saturday. Oh my god! So that made it less. Uh, you yeah, know, that made money no money, money coming yeah. in for that. So yeah. NBC was the first. Uh, I I couldn't believe this when I read it, but in '92 they stopped. They went. They still had like Save by the Bell and things like that, but they well that they was took the, away. Their that was cartoons. the changeover. They started finding. I don't know why it was a switcheroo. They started being able to make the live action stuff cheaper, cheaper than, than the cartoons. Yeah, yeah. Save by the Bell was the one that started the end of that, because they became so popular that it was a whole block of teenage. Uh, live action stuff after that 
Which nothing, no teenager watched. It's nothing, all kids. Nothing caught that lightning in the bottle of Saved by the Bell, but uh, quite quite like <laughs> they did. But there were lots of Saved by the Bell. Uh, What's an example? I never saw. Well, the first, the first, no, the series started with Good Morning, Miss Bliss, where it was. Oh, that was yeah. actually on the Disney Channel. Yeah, that yeah. with Haley Mills. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, Saved by the Bell, kind of was the first one, and then Saved by the Bell, the College Years, Saved by the Bell, the New Class, which was not very well received. Then you have the unauthorized story of Saved by the Bell on Lifetime, which I have on my DVR. And Bayside the Musical as well, which came out about two years ago. That, and, but not, not all of this was on Saturday morning, though, was it? Uh, it was the college years? I think that was on Saturday morning. Wow. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. The, the Lifetime movie, they did not show on Saturday morning. Yeah. yeah. I think ABC was the last original of the original networks to stop showing cartoons, and that was in 2004. It had earlier stopped and had some news show, and then it went back to cartoons. But and then, I can't believe it, but Fox hung on there. They never really had Saturday morning stuff. They only had the affiliates put on stuff. But they finally come up with the Magic School Bus, <laughs> yeah. and that was their thing. But then they stopped. Uh, that was two thousand and thirteen. Well, Fox had uh, on Saturday when they kind of got into it. They had a. Uh... An X-Men cartoon that was really good from like, uh, oh, I want to say it was late, like 90. I was watching in high school because it was just so well done. Was that on Saturday morning? Yeah, it was Saturday. Uh, and sometimes it would play during the week too. But See, I don't know if those, I think those were syndicated shows that were just put on the affiliates. So that wasn't something could be. made by them. Right, that could be. That, that shows you that all those were the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think it was, yeah, it was CW that, that finally stopped in 2014. They were the last holdout, yep. I miss that. I miss, I know that you can watch anything you want now, mostly, if you can find it. But the whole inventizing of Saturday morning, the making it the big deal, and you're waiting for it, you're waiting all summer, and there it comes, and and here's the shows. And sometimes it was a bad thing when you look and go, this is what they're going to give me this year? This is garbage. I never, I never felt like that. I was a sucker for everything. But as long as I had a few reruns of, of the Herculoids or something somewhere <laughs> stuck in there, then I was happy. There was something for everybody. So, uh, yeah, I forget what they call it, but the, what you're talking about is they, they have, in anthropology, they call it like an event that, uh, a collective event or something that, that a lot of people can experience. And the bad ones are like, you know, a, a, a natural disaster. Or something. Everybody knows where they were. Well, now less and less because of DVRs and everything. There's not that those those events that not everybody experienced them. You know, it's like the Super Bowl and you know stuff like oh, that. The Oscars kind of thing. Those are things that, that that they that people experience together. But that's kind of the nostalgia too. Is that all of us experience those along with everybody that we knew in our friend group or school you was school all experienced those all together and we all knew what was going on and then there was less you, you had to watch it and you didn't know and if there was reruns you'd see it you, there was no video was, there was nothing so it you was had the, to, the water cooler shows for kids basically yeah, yeah basically <laughs> you, go that, the, you go the next day and did you see what happened <laughs> that's what it was and and uh sadly that that is gone that that's that is gone so we put our hands over our heart and we say goodbye 
to Saturday morning cartoons. Gone but not forgotten. Amen. Hello. Primetime television on ABC. For a lot of us, that's a very important part of the new season. But something else is new this season, and I think it's every bit as important, children's programming. Now, there's been a lot of talk about cartoons. Let's face it, kids love to watch cartoons. They're fun, they're entertaining, and they hold the child's interest. And in holding that interest, children can learn. Take, for instance, Yogi the Bear. Now, this season, Yogi's going to be doing a lot more than snatching picnic baskets. He's introducing a whole new series of characters. These new characters are the new bad guys, the new cartoon villains. And since everybody knows the villain has to get foiled in the end, children can learn something to help them come away with a more positive attitude. That's one example. This season, ABC will expand its award-winning after-school specials, its informative scholastic rock, and another Peabody Award winner, Make-A-Wish. Cartoons, yes. They're here to stay because they're fun to watch. And ABC wants the kids to have fun watching them. There is a lot more to television than prime time. Watch for it on ABC. Working on a laptop close to the end of a job I've been doing since half past ten. I don't believe that it's frozen again. The system has gone down, oh, down, oh, down, oh. I don't believe that it's frozen again. The system has gone down, oh. So I took it down to the help desk guy I said make it better or I'm gonna cry He said I'm sorry your computer has died The data can no longer be found oh Found oh, found oh He said I'm sorry your computer has died The data can no longer be found oh To the roof with a laptop I did go Over to the edge and I gave it a throw And when it arrived seven stories below It really made a mighty fine sound oh Sound oh, sound oh When it arrived seven stories below It really made a mighty fine sound oh Well that didn't do enough to ease my pain so I went down to Dulles and I got on a plane Saying this is all Billy Gates' fault I'm gonna be tracking him down, oh Down, oh, down, oh This is all Billy Gates' fault I'm gonna be tracking him down, oh Touchdown in Seattle and got off the plane Hit Starbucks to get out of the rain Paid all of my dough for a thimble of joe Full of foam and the cinnamon brown, oh Brown, oh, brown, oh All of my dough for a thimble of joe Full of foam and the cinnamon brown, oh When the gates found out about my plan He packed up a bag, turned tail and ran Megaloman took it out on the lamb And hid way underground, oh Ground, oh Ground, oh, Megaloman took it out on the lamb and hid way underground, oh. Well, the gate's been a-running ever since that day. Thinks he can hide, but he can't get away. When I finally find his little skinny behind, gotta kick it all over this town, oh. Town, oh, town, oh. Finally find his little skinny behind, gonna kick it all over this town. And now for your quasi-highbrow entertainment, we have two selections from Digital History. The first was produced by Bell Laboratories and released on Decca Records in 1962. It's computer music, made by the IBM 7090 and an electronic sound transducer. The 7090 was the company's first commercial transistorized computer. The previous model had vacuum tube technology. Don't get us wrong though, the 7090 was still a clunker by today's standards. It needed its own air-conditioned room and a team of technicians, not to mention punch cards. But the thing was making digital music. Well, more or less. Our second historical selection is also from Bell Labs, but this time it's computer speech they're working on. 
Listen for the end of this one. You'll see where a certain Hollywood movie got its inspiration. Those words were spoken by an electronic computer. They are an example of synthetic speech, a product of Bell Telephone Laboratory's research into the basic nature of speech. 
Knowledge developed through such research may be useful in devising new techniques for transmitting speech over communication systems. To make the computer talk, it is fed punched cards containing the names of speech sounds. The computer combines these sounds in accordance with the linguistic rules which govern the English language into connected intelligible speech. For example, when the sounds for the sentence, he saw the cat, are fed into the computer in sequence, it says, he saw the cat. The flat, monotonous tones of the computer indicate an absence of the pitch and timing characteristics natural to human speech. When timing information is added to the punched cards, the computer says, he saw the cat. The sentence still sounds unnatural, but when pitch information also is added to the cards, he saw the cat. The computer speaks in accents almost completely human, except for a slight electronic twang. In the following sentence, most of the variables inherent in human speech have been specified on the punch cards. The computer makes one of the pivotal remarks in the development of the telephone. Mr. Watson, come here. I want you. The present quality of speech synthesis by computer is illustrated in the next example, part of a famous soliloquy from Hamlet. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing end them to die to sleep. Singing, in purely physical terms, is essentially a matter of pitch and timing. In the next selection, the computer sings a familiar ditty. Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer, do. I'm half crazy, all for the love of you. It won't be a stylish marriage. I can't afford a carriage, but you look sweet upon the seat of a bicycle built for two. The computer now sings the same tune, but to a musical accompaniment played by another computer. Piano students will notice that the music-producing computer has a rather stylized left hand. Incidentally, Synthesizing music on a computer is almost as formidable as making a computer talk. Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer too. I'm half crazy, all for the love of you. It won't be a stylish marriage. I can't afford a carriage, but you look sweet upon the seat of a bicycle built for two. To get the samples of synthesized speech we've heard so far, a computer's memory was stored with 34 speech sounds and a set of rules for producing these sounds and for making the transitions from one sound to another. When the computer was fed the names of speech sounds on punch cards, it was, in effect, told what to say. But its manner of saying it, even its dialect and apparent accent, was determined by the rules stored in its memory. The objective of this program 
is to formulate a minimum set of rules for making plausible English speech. The next two selections, however, were produced by analyzing a person's speech and reconstructing it synthetically on a computer. The objective here is to duplicate the sounds and transitions made by a human speaker, including his dialect and accent. With such a program, the computer sounds like this. Men strive but seldom get rich. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like to say a few words about Texas. And now the computer would like to express its appreciation for your attention. Thanks for listening. It's my least favorite part of the podcast. We've run out of time now, but we're going to leave you with a little bit more. Frank, what can we do for the folks? Well, we have a great duet with Jack Wilson and Jimmy Sweets to take us out. 
I apologize for it in advance. <laughs> a little bleed over from last month's podcast. Beautiful. A little bonus. See everybody next month at the celebration. Our favorite time, Halloween. You won't want to miss it. It'll be one year for us. All right. Good night, everyone. This is Uncle Frank. This is Jimmy Sweets. This is G Rizzle signing off. Have a great month. I could have danced all night, I could have danced all night, and still have begged for more. I could have spread my wings and done a thousand things that I'd never, never done before. You'll never know what made it so, so, so exciting. When all at once my heart it took flight I only know that when she began to dance with me I could have danced, danced, danced all night I could have danced all night, I could have danced all night And still have begged for more I could have spread my wings and done a thousand things that I'd never, never done before. You'll never know what made it so, so, so exciting. When all at once my heart it took flight. I only know when she began to dance with me. I could have danced. I could have danced. I could have danced, danced, danced all night.